Hello and welcome to Pods Like Us. I'm Martin Quibell, known to my friends as Marv, and with me today is the Managing Director of Entertainment News Group Cinema Blend and one of the three co-hosts of Real Blend, Sean O'Connell. How are you, Sean? I'm wonderful, sir. I'm so glad to be on the show. Thank you for having me. That's okay. Hopefully I introduced you okay there as... It is an entertainment news group. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So Cinema Blend's an entertainment website. We cover uh, film and television. We've been doing a lot of stuff with regards to streaming lately because uh, everybody's sort of heading in that direction. As movies are sort of struggling to get through, we do some pop culture, but heavy on uh, film and television. Okay. How did you get introduced in podcasting in the first place? Well, that's just the natural evolution of where this whole industry is going. When you are a film critic or an entertainment journalist, you have to find different outlets that will allow you to keep doing your reporting. And the industry has shifted from um, print to print and television to the web. And the web was uh, you know, starving for content creators, mostly writing in terms of people transitioning to blogs and, and, and moving on up. And nowadays, the way that, that everything has sped up, you're seeing everybody shift to YouTube as technology allows them to do it. You're, you're seeing people being able to launch really professional sounding podcasts. And I've always been comfortable broadcasting. Um, I have a bit of a background in broadcasting. It's a little something that I studied. Okay. So I don't mind getting on and talking at length about these subjects. And so I find myself doing it on YouTube and we started the Real Blend podcast uh, as a result of that. But the Real Blend podcast was the third or fourth show that we tried to get off the ground at Cinema Blend that all had different sort of uh, specific niches. And it's hard. It's really hard to get a show up and running, to find chemistry amongst the hosts, to find a subject that people really want to tune into on a weekly basis. So it's a lot of trial and error before we figured out a show that works. Yes, and you, Jake, and Kevin all seem to have a really good rapport between each other. Yeah, and that's something that we realized before we even started this. I mean, the three of us have been friends for many, many years, having done the um, the press junket circuit and worked together for our individual outlets. But they're just two of the guys who I would always gravitate toward when we were in big social settings, and they were the ones who I enjoyed having conversations with. And a lot of it is because we agree on a ton of things, but a lot of it's because we disagree on some really specific stuff, which has led to some of the most entertaining conversations, you know, over drinks or, or over dinner or something that when I was given the opportunity by Cinema Blend to try to launch a show, the only people who I thought to do it with was those two, because I just knew the three of us together would have a really good time. So it's a natural extension of how you all talked about films to each other already. Oh, absolutely. And I honestly wanted the show to be some of the some of the best radio programs that I've listened to over the years were um, people who made it seem like they were having a conversation whether the microphones were there or not. It just so happened that every once in a while the microphones turned on and you got to be part of the conversation. And uh, Kevin's dad gave us one of the greatest compliments uh, during a live event we were able to do in Washington, D.C. for our 100th episode. Um, we did a thing where people were able to get up from the audience and ask us questions. 
and Kevin's dad got up, not to ask a question, but to make a comment. And he told everybody in the audience, he said, what you guys don't understand is that this show is going on all the time. Um, and I, he goes, I'm lucky I get to be a part of it because we'll be at Kevin's house and the three of them will just be sitting around the kitchen table shooting the breeze about movies and bringing up scenes and talking about things that work and don't work. And the conversation is kind of endless. It's just that once, uh, you know, for an hour or two, once a week, we do it in a show format <laughs> and, and try to make it sound professional. But we, we would all be doing this anyway, which is, which is what's so entertaining to us about it. I think everybody does that. I mean, I know that when I've been to see films with friends, that we all do that. We go and watch a film, and if it's made an impact on you, you can't stop talking about it until, well, it just keeps going and going, that talk does. I miss that aspect of, of the theatre-going uh, bit more than ever right now. And especially for us, it used to be at festivals, because we would get to see stuff earlier than most, and that's where you're getting to see some of the most... Um, provocative conversation generating films and you're seeing it with all your colleagues who are covering for different outlets who this is all they do so you're in an audience packed with people who only talk about movies and it's who it's their full-time job to talk about movies so some of the conversations we would have on the sidewalk outside of uh, theaters at places like um, Toronto or New York or Telluride or Savannah, some of these just amazing film festivals, those are the greatest things. And I truly miss uh, that interaction right now as we're all trying to figure our way through this pandemic. But the way that you talk about films in the show, it's not, uh, and this isn't to be a slight to anybody else, but it's not in a very, say, film critic style. It's a naturalistic style that you've all got when you talk about films uh, between each other. Sure. Um, and I, I, I don't know if this is a conscious decision that we ever made, but film criticism can be used as a tool to really tear things down. And yeah. that's productive. That can be productive, you know, because you learn things that don't work and you figure out how to do it better the next time. But we're really, I think the three of us have come to terms with the fact that, that more often than not, we want to celebrate on Real Blend the things that we enjoy and the things that are really moving us. So we end up spending way more time on something like uh, the films of Christopher Nolan or uh, something that Damien Chazelle is working on because they are, you know, we did a ton on Invisible Man earlier this year because it was something that Lee Whannell really surprised us with. So instead of coming at it from a perspective of let's, let's rip apart everything that doesn't work and be really negative we've turned it into a, 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 a podcast that, that is trying to be a celebration of cinema and, and a, if it raises your awareness and, and encourages you to check out something that you wouldn't normally see or haven't yet caught up with, and then we can maybe bring you an interview with the director of, of that project. Uh, these are all things that we want to do to continue to boost the profile of really good films because there's, you know, there's not enough time in the day out there. <laughs> now for for all this negativity we'd rather be a, a force for change and a force for good absolutely so when it comes to the show structure what is each person's role in getting the show put together sure um gabe and i do a lot of it because we are employees of cinema blend okay uh, the beauty of kevin and jake is that they are willing to do this every single week but they are full-time employees at other outlets 
So they are truly doing this on their own time. And um, because uh, Gabe and I are full-time employees who are able to dedicate our resources to um, putting the show together, he and I are the ones who build a, an outline of the topics that we're going to discuss. And obviously Kevin and Jay can weigh in on anything that they want to and make suggestions about topics that they want to do. And we have a, a, a running text chain that we are all in essentially uh, every single day of the week. And so in there, we'll bounce out ideas uh, of things we want to get to. We have certain staples of each show and try to uh, follow a format. We have a, a news break, obviously. Um, we tend to lead with an interview. We do a blend game at the end of the thing. Um, the blend game is really picked by Gabe each week. So he kind of surprises us with what the topic's going to be. Yeah. We do a This Week in Movies section. So we do reviews. Um, but then we have some flexibility to really go off on topics that we find pretty interesting. And so um, it it is a you know plan a day or two before we're getting together for everything because we want to be as timely as we can. And we find that we get burned, you know, if we record an episode and then huge news breaks after the after the fact. Um, but that's that's essentially how the show gets put together. And and the three of us are all, I th- I think personally, so good at going off the cuff and just building off of each other that you can throw out a loose topic and it's easy for us to sort of riff on it for 10 minutes, 20 minutes. Okay. And when it comes to arranging guests, how do you arrange the guest and, um, and decide which guest to, well, it's probably a stupid question, which guest to actually ask to come onto the show? No, that's, that's not a dumb question at all. Uh, a lot of it's driven by what films are coming and who we might be able to get access to. And the three of us have been lucky enough to have been plugged into the um, Hollywood interview circuit for a long period of time. So we're on the lists to get invitations to speak to different people. But over the three years that we've been doing the show now at this point, studios have gotten used to Real Blend being a viable outlet to bring their directors to. So they'll come to us and they'll say, uh, hey, we also want to offer up this person. Are they available for the show? Do you want to take them? And more often than not, we're saying yes to just about everybody. Uh, but they also know that we stand out as a director's podcast. And so they're they're okay bringing filmmakers around because we're going to talk about craft with them and we're going to get into the behind the scenes of their movies. Um, it's a lot of emails. It's just honestly a lot of emails. It's a lot of reaching out. Uh, in the early days, it was a lot of um, proving what the show was going to be. But I think we're over that hump that enough of the people that we would work with to recruit talent knows the show. Sometimes you still have to send them statistics. Sometimes you still have to send them, Hey, who were some of your previous guests? But, and again, I'm not, I don't want to sound pretentious in the least bit or to brag too much on the show, but when we put together our previous guests, including Christopher Nolan, uh, Damien Chazelle and Quentin Tarantino, that that opens up a lot. It opens up a lot of doors uh, for when we want to get other guests on the show. So we are absolutely capitalizing on the early successes that we've had to continue to get some of the most exciting filmmakers working today. And that's our goal. That's our goal every single week is just to keep pushing, pushing to get some of the coolest people on Uh, the dropping today is uh, Julie Taymor, who uh, directed the Glorias with Alicia Vikander and Julianne Moore. It's just a genius. She's a genius. I mean, she reinvented the Lion King for the Broadway stage and won Tonys for it. Obviously, I thought did an incredible job interpreting the catalog of the Beatles for um, Across the Universe. Uh, I, I, the, the glory is, is was fantastic. Again, much better than I anticipated it to be. And I should have I should have known with her at the helm. And then she just ended up being a terrific interview. So, um, 
yeah, we're thrilled. We're thrilled each week to be able to get to speak to some of the, the most inspiring filmmakers working in the industry today. So with that in mind, who are your dream guests? I mean, my bucket list ones would have to remain. Um, I, I want to get Fincher so bad. Uh, and he has Mank coming out. And the only thing about Fincher is that I, I think he's a tough interview. Um, you have to really bring your A game, but I somewhat trust in our ability to connect with him. I think the three of us would would convince him that this is a good show to come on. Uh, Spielberg would be a dream, uh, obviously. You know, I'm not quite sure if he's ever going to do a podcast. He doesn't have to by any stretch. Um, I can say that we got, we got really close to getting Martin Scorsese for The Irishman. Uh, we'd been told repeatedly that he was... Uh, that he was going to do it. And then it just never happened for schedule reasons. So those three still stand out uh, as the big ones. And um, I would, I would like to get George Clooney. He'd be a great storyteller. And I'm sure he, I think he's directing a film sometimes soon. the Coen brothers. God, the Coens would be amazing. It's just some of these filmmakers who we really idolize. I don't think that they do podcasts. They so rarely do press. And then even if they do do press, they go with such traditional outlets as, as print or television so, so the need to convince them to spend a few minutes talking long form uh, on a podcast is, is it's a challenge, but, but they're getting more and more accustomed to being asked to do podcasts. And then um, if it's a director, there are few, you know, precious few film podcasts out there that focus so heavily on a director. And so I think that gives us uh, the upper hand. What shows of yours that you've done already really stand out to you in the show's I mean, history? Yeah, Tarantino has to be up there. Um, but the first Tarantino to me was the most amazing one. It was shorter. We got 20 minutes with him. But it's one of those ones where we would make jokes all the time. We would say to each other, like, he's going to love us. And, and if he actually loves us, like, he's going to become a friend of the show. And it was a way for us to sort of, like, pump ourselves up. But then it happened. Like, then he legitimately had such a good time and said to us, like, we got to do this again sort of thing. And then he did it again. And so the second time was incredible because he did two and a half hours with us. Yep. And it was way more casual and it was way more of a hang. And he honestly came in and felt like a friend who was just sitting in for a talk session as opposed to an interview. So that one's really special. But I still credit the first one because in the first one, I think that's when we that's when we kind of won him over. Um there's a bunch of other examples too. Like Damien Chazelle was terrific. There's certain people who you just know that they are such film geeks that they're going to connect with you and, uh, and they're going to have a good time on the show. We have one in the can that we haven't yet been able to play. And it's John Krasinski talking about a quiet place part two, but because that movie keeps getting pushed back and pushed back, um, we haven't been able to run it yet, but it, it, something happens in the Krasinski interview that we take a lot of pride in when it happens during our interviews, which is the person is very much in, uh, usually in um, guarded junket uh, mode where they are just going to give standard answers and they're going to give, you know, quick responses. But then there's a moment where you break through that and then they start having a, a legitimate conversation with you because they get swept up by something you asked them, or there's a story that they start to tell that they hadn't yet told from the production that happened with John Krasinski, and by the end of it, he was extremely relaxed and dialed in and having a really good time. Same thing happened with Joaquin Phoenix. The Joaquin Phoenix interview for Joker was unbelievable because 
if you go back and listen to that interview, and I forget what number it is, he, he's so upfront with us at the beginning about saying like, hey man, uh, this is going to be terrible because it's the end of the day. I'm wiped out. I just had lunch. So good luck. You know, I, <laughs> I'm sorry. This is going to be really bad. And, and we made sure that it wasn't, you know, we hit him with great questions and we kept him on his toes and we really engaged him with stuff. And by the end of it, he, he told us what a great time he had. And he went out into the hallway and told Todd Phillips that he should talk to us. And Todd Phillips was not supposed to be on our schedule. And then he agreed to jump on for that day. And so that, that ended up being a really, really great experience. What's your first experience of going to watch a film at the cinema? Oh my gosh. Um, I, I think my earliest memory is a Saturday afternoon that I did a double feature of uh, the 1983 movie Clash of the Titans with Harry Hamlin. And then I'm, I'm fairly certain we came out of Clash of the Titans and my father saw that Superman 2 uh, was playing next door in the next theater and said, do you want to go see that one too? And I couldn't believe that, first off, my father was not a moviegoer. So the idea that he wanted to see one movie was thrilling enough to me. But then the, the concept of seeing two blew my mind. And so uh, that's my earliest memory of being in a theater and getting to do that double feature. That's a lot cooler than my first experience. <laughs> What's yours? Pete's Dragon with my father. <laughs> uh, see, but still, it's a nice memory with your dad. I like it. It is. It's always nice to, to get to have those memories. What's your favorite film then? Well, currently it's Avengers Endgame. And Avengers Endgame surpassed Die Hard, which was my the original Die Hard, which was my answer for most of my adult life. But Avengers Endgame is such an accomplishment and such an impossible film that I had to let it finally bump uh, the first Die Hard out of my list as the name of my favorite film. And it's really just... Now, I even kind of acknowledge that Infinity War is a better film. And I don't think that they can operate without each other. So I'm going to cheat and say that the two of them together are kind of the same story-going experience. But Endgame has the final battle, which to me remains and will remain for, I assume, a very, very long time one of the most, you know, thrilling and, and memorable movie going experiences, which is just, you know, the portal scene uh, and, and seeing that with an audience and just being so dialed in and everybody having such the most amazing time. And I'm not quite sure we're ever going to see anything like that again on that scale. So, um, so currently my answer is Avengers Endgame, but, but John McTiernan's first Die Hard is like right below it. They're, they're one A and one B. They are and uh, Avengers Endgame as well. They they had it all against them, didn't they? It looked seemed that way because they had to end all of that lead up from all those films that had come beforehand. Oh, it's impossible. There's no way that that movie should should exist. Like when people ask me why I love Endgame, I say because there's a moment in that movie where Captain America throws Thor's hammer so that Spider Man can grab onto it. Um, and land on the back of Valkyrie's horse uh, as um, Gwyneth Paltrow in Iron Man armor uh, battles, you know, things that are flying around Spider-Man. And all of it makes sense in, in context. <laughs> like, 
that exists in a movie and it's real and all those people are, are are there for reasons because they built up to it and it just shouldn't be but it is and i love it i love everything about it what's your go-to genre of film um it, it's it's definitely right now the comic book movie uh i just think the i think we're in the golden age of superhero movies whether it be marvel or dc i i'll pop in a, a marvel film or, or a DC film on one of the streaming services, Disney Plus or HBO Max. I, I'm, I'm on those streaming services specifically for that content. Um, I think it's exciting to see other filmmakers, really talented filmmakers, take on the genre and that it lost the stigma of just being um, mindless blockbuster entertainment. So when you see the Russos take on uh, a Captain America Civil War or Winter Soldier, when you see James Mangold, you know, turn Logan into a, a Western, essentially, yeah. um, when you see Black Panther done by Ryan Coogler, like the genre has elevated itself and I think is only going to continue to grow in so many different exciting ways. So um, we've been doing this for 20 years now, the superhero genre, when you think about it. Uh, X-Men was 2000. Uh, the first Spider-Man was right around that time, the Sam Raimi one. Uh, that's kind of when all this stuff really kicked off, even though we had plenty of superhero movies before that. I'd say that this era of, of studios and creators taking all that very seriously has been in this swing for about 20 years. And I think we're, I think we could easily get another 20 years out of it with the way that um, DC Marvel and then some of the, um, the smaller variants uh, are starting to explore different ways to bring characters to the big screen. Are there any films that you think have been overlooked or films that aren't known to many people that you think people should see? Oh my God, countless ones, sure. Um, anything that comes through the film festival circuit uh, that doesn't find its audience because it can't find its way into theaters. Listen, I know I just celebrated the comic book franchise, but but the way that studios treat big screen IPs forces uh, mid-tier and independent films out of the ability that they once had to get onto a movie screen and get in front of different people. Um, so you would see movies like uh, Booksmart Olivia Wilde's film or the great uh, coming of age movie, eighth grade uh, that Bo Burnham put out recently that have to really ride on word of mouth because it's, they don't get a chance to run in a movie theater for a couple of weeks, the way that they used to. Nowadays, it's really hard because with theaters being closed, so many things are trying to make a dent on streaming. Like they, like they finally got the Bill and Ted franchise back off the ground and that poor movie didn't even get a chance to have its theatrical run. Now, it did pretty well on streaming, but there's no way that it had the impact that it should have had if we were still in a normal time. Uh, so I do seriously feel bad for that, you know, I call them B-level and C-level, not for quality's sake, but for budget and marketing that they can't get themselves in front of eyeballs and they have to rely on going to an Amazon Prime or Hulu, you know, like um, Palm Springs, the Andy Samberg movie that came to Palm Springs. That should be one of the most talked about films of the year. And it has some buzz, but the fact that it went to Hulu means that it didn't have the huge splash that it would have had with theatrical distribution. And that's just the state of the industry right now. Yeah, it's a difficult thing at the moment because the industry are having to decide which films to wait for and which films to put on there. And it's really difficult for filmmakers, like you said. Well, of course, what are they going to invest in? Uh, the new James Bond or the next Mission Impossible or, uh, you know, a quirky time travel comedy starring uh, one of the guys who used to be on Saturday Night Live. I understand where they're going to put their marketing dollars and I understand where they're going to try to get more return for their buck. But it also it often means that a really quality 
uh, odd, odd and quirky and offbeat story uh, flies under the radar. What advice would you give to anybody wanting to start off in uh, entertainment journalism? Hmm, that's really difficult. That's a difficult question. Um, there's a lot of outlets out there, but they're not getting the access um, that you need to almost hang on. Um, and you're even seeing really strong sites with really quality writers struggling to get by um, to earn advertisement. It's not it's not that easy to get advertisement for websites the way that you used to be able to. Um, what I would say is you have to get in the habit of writing every single day. It's not something that you can just treat casually. Um, the only way to get better as a, as a writer is to write every single day, is to consume the media that you want to consume, television shows, uh, movies, books, music, podcasts, whatever you want to consume, but then get in the habit of turning around and writing something about it or doing a YouTube blog about it and, and get in the habit of forming your opinion and, and reporting on the things that, that are going on in the industry. So that way, when you do get an opportunity uh, to hit the ground running and report on something for somebody, someone who you'd like to work for, you're in the habit, you're in the rhythm. It's not something new to you. You just keep doing it. You have to just keep doing it to build up your, to sharpen your skills, to build your portfolio and, and try to get a foot in the door at some place that will, that will allow you to write on a daily basis. Um, Cause again, that's the only way you're going to get better at it. Definitely. What other podcasts do you listen to? If you get the chance to listen to any, if I'm listening to any other podcast, they're sports related. Um, okay. I'll listen to NBA basketball breakdown podcasts from ESPN or CBS sports. I listen to around the NFL um, because I love the four hosts. I think they're really funny. Uh, I do so much entertainment reporting and coverage during the day that the last thing I want to do <laughs> is listen to more entertainment coverage. Uh, so I, I deflect into sports and, and go down that route. I'm preparing for um, the NBA draft is coming up right before Thanksgiving. And I've been listening to so many podcasts of people doing mock drafts for that. So, um, yeah, that's my escape. My escape is into professional sports. Okay. Finally, because uh, I know you're short on time, um, what advice would you give to anybody wanting to start out in podcasting? Uh, it's very similar to what I said with journalism is just start doing it. Um, there's so many podcasts and it's tough to break through, but the ones that are going to connect with audiences are ones that have something unique about them. You like the hosts. Uh, you like the way that they discuss what you enjoy. Uh, keep at it for a little while. Don't give up on it right away. Um, okay. it's, it's hard to break through and it might take some time. But the good news is the more that you do it, the more you're building up an archive of old shows so that when people find you, we hear from people all the time who will uh, find Real Blend and say, gosh, I had no idea you guys were even doing this. I love this show. Where have you been this whole time? And we're like, we've been here for three years. Um, but then they love the ability to go back through. I think we're up to episode number 137 this most this past week. So that gives them a, a huge archive of shows to be able to go back through and catch up with us and, and learn more about the hosts. So there's value to, to even doing it, even if you feel like right now no one's listening 
So stick with it, build up that archive, get better at doing the show. You'll feel yourself getting better, uh, talking about different things, figuring out your format, uh, honing in on what you want your topics to be. All of that stuff comes in time and there's no way that you're gonna be good at it right away. God, if I go back and listen to our earliest episodes, I think they're unlistenable. Um, so you'll only get better as you keep doing it. So, But you have to start. You can't keep saying like, boy, one day I'm going to start a podcast. Just start it. Start, just start it and figure it out as you're moving forward. Learn on the job and, uh, and your audience hopefully will find you and, and will grow. That is great advice. Thank you, Sean. That's, that's fantastic. Thank you. My pleasure. So- that's okay. So how can people uh, get hold of you and find you online? So Cinema Blend is the name of the website, Cinema Blend. Um, I'm on Twitter, Sean underscore O'Connell. It's S-E-A-N. Real Blend is the name of the podcast. We have our own Twitter feed, uh, Real Blend, R-E-E-L-B-L-E-N-D. And uh, you can follow us at all of those different locations. We're posting the podcast there on a regular basis. The show is on YouTube, so uh, we have a visual element to it, which is very fun for when we have our guests, uh, because most of them recently have been allowing us to, to uh, include the video of our conversations with them. So head to YouTube, search for Real Blend Podcast, and give us a subscribe. So we're kind of kind of all over the place, and I credit Gabe for that, for sure, our producer, because he does an amazing job of um, uploading all of that stuff, sharing it all on social media. He's a whiz at that stuff, and, and we wouldn't be we'd be lost lost without the work that he does. Okay, thank you for, very much for talking to me, Sean. Anytime, I really appreciate the invitation. Thank you, and thank you everybody for listening. And I hope to catch you next time on another episode of Odds Like Us. Okay, Sean, is there anything that you think that we might have missed that people need to know? No, I think you hit all the bases. I thought that was really good. Okay, thank you very much. Did it work for you? Yeah, I think that's that's fine. In in editing, I can fix my my bits here and there. Martin, thank you so much for all your support, man. You've been there from day one. I love getting your notifications on Instagram that you're listening to us. It always makes me feel good. Something I look forward to. Well, yeah, I mean, what I'm trying to trying to do with this is to introduce people to a podcast that they can get something from so like your show it's it's there it's it's fun it gives you the information that you need but it does it in a way that's not um not well it's 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 fun and it's interesting and i love the show i can't i can't stop listening to it (laughs) well i really really appreciate it man and i appreciate your time thanks for having me on thank you sean i'll let you go on now thank you all right brother talk soon Take care. Bye. Bye now.